Hey, this is Zoe of LifeEnergyAlchemy.com, bringing you a very special series of the Alchemist Notebook podcast called Conversations with Spirit Seekers. Join me as I interview inspiring modern pilgrims, heroines and pioneers who have overcome huge adversity in their lives and are here to share with you just how they did this and what vital lessons they learned along the way. Today we're in conversation with a woman whose journey took her from early onset MS to successful and passionate entrepreneur, working with women to transform their mindset around what is truly possible for them in their lives. Meet Kami Wu of Kamesiology.com. So hi, today I am talking to Kami Wu of Kamesiology.com. Kami is a mindset transformer who works with female entrepreneurs, helping them break through mindset blocks and become more confident in themselves. And she's also fighting to redefine how we currently deal with mental health in our medical and current societal institutions. And today we're having a conversation about Camille's journey from chronic illness to better health and what helped her most on her path and also what she learned along the way. Hi Camille, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. And you? <laughs> I'm fantastic, thank you very much. <laughs> so um, tell us a little bit about yourself first of all. Who are you? Where are you? <laughs> what are you doing? Um, I'm currently in Paris wow. uh, with my partner, Niels. And who am I? Uh, I'm a 26-year-old female. I'm from London, born to a French mother and a Chinese father, so I'm a whole mm -hmm. mix of things. Um, what else can I say? Just living my life. Just uh, <laughs> so what are, out there now. What are you doing in Paris? I am working. I'm working. Uh, I work online mainly, but I also do things in person. Um, and just kind of getting used to it because I've only just moved here. So, yeah, trying to settle in. And what took you there in the first place? It was, you know, we, when I first met Niels, we always said we wanted to live in Paris, but it never, like, the opportunity never came. Mm. And it did. And we were like, let's do it because we both love it. Um, my mum my is originally from Paris. I've got family here. And oh, it's a really awesome. beautiful city. Yeah. It's just really nice to be here. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I would love to hear a little bit about your healing journey, yeah. because I know that you grew up is it from, from a very young age. You, you got sick and um, went through kind of a few years of working through that before you actually got diagnosed. Yeah. So I would love to for you just to tell everybody a little bit about that and how things went for you. Sure. Okay. Um, so yeah, I got, I fell ill when I was about 14. I was 14 years old and it really struck or it like came about when I was, it was Valentine's day. I woke up, you know, as a young, you know, teenager, Oh, Valentine's day, you know, getting excited. Yeah. <laughs> My whole right leg was completely numb. 
And I thought, oh, I must have just slept on it, you know, like mm. a kitchen um, and didn't think much of it at first. But I was a bit like, oh, it's completely numb, the whole thing. And basically it didn't go away. Carried on being numb throughout the day. So we went to the doctor and they were, you know, with these kind of things, I understand they said, well, just, you know, see if it gets any worse. Hopefully it will just get better by itself. Come yeah. back if it gets worse. So we did that. And unfortunately... Well, fortunately, depending on how you look at it now, it got worse and my yeah. left leg went numb and then my right hand went numb and then my left and it was like limb by limb, my whole body went numb. So how did you deal with that at that point in time? What? How- I think it was, uh, I was really scared, but at the same time, just, you know, you don't want to, I was 14. I had no idea what was going on. I was yeah. just, oh, my, my body's going numb, I don't know what's happening. But, I, you know, looking back, I was pretty terrified. And I think... Of course. We went to the doctor again. We, we actually ended up in A&E because it was, you know... You couldn't move, I guess. I could move. I could you move. Could. I just was numb. Right. I do remember it was hard. It was winter because it was, you know, February. And I remember sitting in the bath, a steaming hot bath, but I couldn't feel it. I was wow. still... So my body had really like it just lost the sensation and I yeah so looking back you know you kind of forget these things but yeah I was scared and I didn't understand what was going on and neither did the doctors they were just like they just wanted it to go away as well I guess they didn't understand what was happening yeah yeah um but yeah so it got worse and my parents by then were a bit like okay we need to do something about this and it wasn't going fast enough so Luckily, they said, okay, let's go private. Just, you know, let's try it, even though it's very expensive. And we went to a private doctor just for one session, just like one and a half hour. And she made me do really funny things. <laughs> to, I, was, I was a teenager. I was already so insecure. And in my underwear, I had to walk across the room with toe, like toe to toe. <laughs> and I was like, what is happening to my life? Like, why am I doing this? Oh. <laughs> After watching that, she referred me immediately to a hospital um, for tests. So I was, I think that evening I was already in hospital for three nights and they were doing so many tests like brain scans, you know, MRI, ECG. They did a lumbar puncture where they took fluid out of my spine. Wow. I was having blood tests every morning and every evening and, and yeah, so that was, it was all just like, whoa, a lot to take on. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, she told me you're having... The amount of tests you're having right now in the next three days are more than anyone has in their entire lifetime. So, oh. yeah. And um, so, yeah. And then after that, they sat me down. And she was lovely. My pediatric neurologist was lovely. She was really, you know, she was kind. She was caring. And she said, you know, we've got the results back. They are conclusive to what a disease called MS is. And I was like, oh, okay. Was it very kind of conclusive at the time? Not at all. I mean, that's what happened is... Um, she said, we're going to hope that this is not MS because she said at the time, somebody under the age of 20, it was like, I remember her giving me the statistic, it was like 0.01% get it under the age of 20. Right. She was saying, we're hoping it's a viral inflammation, some kind of infection that's caused your nervous system to go into reaction. Yeah. So I was like, okay, you know, I was a kid. I was like, okay, cool. Let's go back. I went back to school. Um, and it did, you know, after that, it did get better. My body went back to being slowly. It did. I remember it gradually just got back to being, I could feel again. Wow. Yeah. So that was okay. <laughs> but then, you know, 
um, I got more attacks as the years went on. Right. At, at least once a year, every year I would get another attack and it started to get worse. It started to be more about pain, yeah. cognitive function. I had difficulty swallowing, all the typical MS things, but I didn't know at the time. I remember people would say, what's on? And I'd say, have you heard of MS? And they would go, yes. And I'd say, it's like that, but it's not. <laughs> that was my line. Yeah, but I was missing school more and more. And I was I also got into a depression when I was about 15 um yeah so there was a lot of that going on absolutely oh wow yeah so, so where what what was the next step for you then well what happened was every year I was going to see them and they were keeping an eye on me and they were just noting down that the symptoms were coming and going and coming back and getting worse and then when I was 18 uh, I got transferred to the adult neurology department because mm. obviously I was officially an adult and that's when I changed neurologist. So I no longer had her anymore. Yeah. And, um, I got diagnosed and that was it. It was really quick. Uh, I think it was my first meeting with a new neurologist who I had met before, but never, it wasn't just my neurologist. And, you know, it was a different feeling. There wasn't that kind of care for, uh, maybe children. Yeah. And he just said so matter of factly, well, looks like you've got MS then. And I just sat there like, oh my God, it is MS. And, and no I was sugarcoating it then. Just I, think really, I went into a bit of a shock and I was, cause you know, maybe I'd been hoping and praying, please don't let it be MS. Don't let it be MS because they always said it probably isn't. Yeah. And maybe I'd kind of, you know, but anyway, either way, that was it. They said, it looks like you've got MS and I took it as it was, but you know, emotionally I was all over the place. Of course, of course, my yeah. goodness. <laughs> so yeah. And then I did fall into a depression, like, or whatever you want to call it a reaction. I couldn't believe it. I was in shock. I was in bereavement. Um, for for this diagnosis because yes to them it's incurable and degenerative did they did they offer you anything at that time they offered me um the idea of medication they gave me information about what I could take and at that time it was beta interferon um uh, which were immunosuppressants yeah Um, so I read up a lot about them. My parents and me took the leaflets, read up about them. We didn't feel good about it. Of course not. I was 18. I didn't want to be, yeah, you know, stuck in bed with the side effects. They said it was like having a bad flu um, and that it does have side effects on a long term. So I was very much like scared, but also like I probably should take them because they said the longer you wait and, you know, the worse it gets. And maybe yeah. if you're young, then it will help curb the amount of attacks that you get. Yeah, so I felt I felt kind of pressured, pressuring myself and other from outside of myself. My boyfriend at the time was studying medicine, and he was like, "It's probably the best thing." And I was like, "Yeah." So I had a lot of voices in my head at the time. Mm. So how did you deal with that then? I mean, so firstly, on an emotional level, how were you kind of processing that? But also, secondly, on a practical level, what did you decide? I don't think I actually did deal with it emotionally. Looking mm-hmm. back, I've dealt with it now. <laughs> okay, yeah. Really in time, like I said, I think I went into shock and it was a bit of a, a, a bit of a traumatic experience. Like I didn't know how to deal with it, so I just put it away. Yeah. And, which could be why I also reacted so strongly with a kind of depression, feeling so alone. Yeah. And very much like, oh, look, all my friends are all going to university and I'm sick and... Yeah. 
And, you know, because it really started to play in my mind, I was like, I've got MS, I've got MS. So it was all I could think about, like mm-hmm. being on the tube and wanting to wanting to have a seat, but thinking, I'm only 18, no one's going to give me a seat. Maybe yeah. I should have a, if I were, if I had a cane, maybe people would give me a seat. You know, all these thoughts were in my head. Yeah. Um, and just uh, all the things. I remember my favorite band's Coldplay. <laughs> and one of their videos at the time was for the hardest part which is a song oh I love that came out. it's a, like a really old lady doing gymnastics yeah <laughs> it's amazing and I remember watching that being like oh my god I'm like a grandma now and wow. my body's giving up now and she can do that it was you know it was very much on my mind and I was kind of yeah I was having a pity party I didn't know how to deal with it yeah. no way yeah, yeah. And did you and did have, you have any, any mentors or, you know, anybody that you could talk to at that time? Mm, no. no. I mean, because no one knew how to deal with it. My parents, bless them, they just, it was so hard for them as well. Their, their little girl was sick and her body yes. was giving up or destroying itself. And I think no one knew how to deal with it. My brother flew over immediately. He, he lived in China at the time. And he, I think he wanted to help me accept it because he, he thought that's the best way. But I just didn't feel ready. And he was showing me videos of women who had MS and it made me feel worse because I, I saw how they, they were talking and they were like, you know, I've got kids, but I can't really run after them because of the illness. And I was like, oh my God, I don't want to have kids if I can't even like run after my kids when, they, when they're messing around. And mm. so it was just like a big, yeah. I didn't, yeah. <laughs> lots and lots of things that must have been going going on for you in your in your head and your heart and in your whole body. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. then what was the crunch factor? You know, wh- at what point did you think, I can do something about this? Well, there was already a voice in me when I was diagnosed. I remember I did sit across from that man, the neurologist, when he said the MS thing. And even though at that moment I was like, oh no, this is going to sound funny. But I had a vision in my head and it was of a, it was a tribe. It was like an Amazonian tribe. Like, you know, the ones you see on TV, I've probably seen it on TV. Yeah. The ones that are like jumping around singing and all the, yeah. old, people, all the old people are there dancing and singing. And yeah, I was yeah. like, and that's, you know, that in itself, for me was like how come in their society the old people are singing and dancing around and in our society old people it's just normal to get dementia it's normal to get alzheimer's it's not normal but it's becoming more and more prevalent mm. and because my parents are older than most parents you know it was like arthritis diabetes and you know i sit around with them and my mom and her friends and it was just it was a normal thing like oh you know getting old and getting aches and pains and getting sick um, yeah. and that was like the norm in our society but I felt like there must be answers outside because in their society, at least I believed, they didn't have that. There was different, you know, maybe I was being naive at the time, but it really, there was that kind of like voice in my head saying, there's more, there's more. Don't just go with what they're telling you. There's yeah. more. Um, and then the real crunch, I think, looking back was when I met someone who changed how I saw things. Um, shall I go on with the story? Of course, please. Um, so I was... I think I was still 18 when this happened and I was, it was my anniversary with my then boyfriend and we'd gone to some kind of, it was like an exhibition in central London about relationships or something. And it was at the end of this exhibition that we went, we came out into a bar and there was a speed dating convention going on. <laughs> and I was like, what's this, you know, speed dating, huh? 
But then I saw a man at the bar. It was the end of the speed dating convention where people get to mingle. And um, so people, you know, if you like someone, you can go and talk to them and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a man sitting at the bar by himself in a wheelchair. And I was like, I was struck. Because, you know, I'd just been diagnosed. Being in a wheelchair was on my head, in my head a lot. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. that's the worst part of MS, you're in a wheelchair. And he was by himself, I think, having a drink. And it really, it got me in my heart. I could really feel like, it, you know, it affected me personally. I was like, oh, my God. But at the same time, I felt an admiration for this man. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, wow, he he's doing this, coming along to a speed dating thing, being the only one in a wheelchair, knowing. Yeah. He must know that there's going to be a disadvantage for him. Because they were all walking around talking and he was in a wheelchair. Yeah. yeah. And I was so um, kind of overwhelmed. I remember saying to my boyfriend, I was like, I'm going to go and talk to him. And so I did. And I went over to him and I just said, excuse me. <laughs> I can't remember my exact words. But I was like, I just want to say that I really admire you because you've come to this knowing probably that, you know, you're at a disadvantage. And he was really touched and he was like, thank you. Yes, you know, I do know. But I'm not going to let it stop me kind of thing. Yeah. And then I shared my story with him and I said, I've just been diagnosed with MS. And then his reaction, he, I remember he teared up. He was so touched, oh. you know, um, and he was like, that's awful. I'm so sorry. You're so young. He was really shocked. And um, we sat there together and he kind of, that was when it, the crunch came when he said to me, he said, don't listen to them. And I was like, what? And he's like, don't listen. He said, it's mind over matter. And then he showed me, he said, he told me his story. He said he'd been in a, a rock climbing accident. And his, his spine had been severely damaged. And his whole leg, I think his upper, uh, just above his hips, I can't remember exactly, but he couldn't move anything. And he said to me, they, as in the doctors and stuff, told him that he could never move again. And they said, they told him, like, give up, you know, like, just get on with your life kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, and that's when he said to me, don't listen. And then he showed me and he went, look. And then he wiggled his leg. He, just, <laughs> he wiggled it. I love that. And then he said, and he said, they told me I couldn't do this. I love that. I work on it every day and look, I can do it now. Of course. You know, and he was looking at me and he was like, it's mind over matter. And I think that's when the crunch came because I was like, okay, I'm going to go with this. I'm going to try my own thing, you know. So meeting that man definitely changed. And I don't even know his name or where he is now. <clears throat> I do know that he's, he was a, a composer for, for music for films. Oh, wow. I hope one day I can meet him again. And just yeah. Say, yeah, so. Wow, so there is that old um, adage of when you're ready, I guess the teacher appears yeah, in maybe. a way. And, and it was at a speed dating convention <laughs> in central London about relationships, so, yeah. Awesome. That is such an amazing story. It is, isn't it? Like, you don't really think about it. It's just, you know, it was. it happened to me, but I don't think of it in the grand the way that it can be seen was like this man did change my life and I'm, I'm so grateful to him. So grateful. So where did you go from that day onwards then? Where did your path take you? All over. <laughs> I ended up, I, I ended up in Peru. I ended up like with that tribe that I was talking about jumping around. Yeah. <laughs> I did end up going there. Um, I ended up, you know, I've done a lot of things and I've studied a lot of things and I've tried to understand my body and my health and my mind. And I went, yeah, I've done quite a lot of different therapies. Sometimes, you know, they didn't work. Sometimes they did. Um, I've tried to stay balanced in it. I can see how you can fall in when someone's sick, they are vulnerable and desperate. Yes. Yeah. So you've got, you know, having the right people around you um, and also just kind of 
staying strong in yourself is, is good. So. I'd love to just say, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that briefly. I would because that's such an important point. Um, and I know that you know people right at the beginning of their kind of health journey, or even halfway along, you know, you are so vulnerable. You are so you know open to that kind of just wanting to give up, basically. At, you know, at any given point in time, and say there's got to be an easier way. So. What would you say to those people in retrospect or, you know, in, in light of your entire journey? What would you say to those people? It sounds so cheesy and cliche, but I would just say don't give up. And it's really, it's you. You are the driving force behind your, you know, your health. And because, yeah, looking back, it, it is so hard to do your own thing when you have so many different voices, people who are professional, people who are experts, people who care about you. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you have to just say no. And I, I can imagine there are people out there who've said no, and then they've ended up not getting better. So I can see why there's a controversy about that, mm. but at least they chose for themselves. Yeah. If you don't choose for yourself and then end up getting worse, then, you know, you could maybe fall into blame <laughs> and say, well, you told me to do this. So, yeah. yeah, I would say really, really don't give up. And I really strongly believe now that your body can heal when it's given the right tools. And a lot of it is your mind, you know. Belief, you know? that belief in yourself, yeah. That belief. And I know with science that, you know, of course there's a placebo effect, but the placebo effect is amazing. It's like, it works. <laughs> I love, yeah, my, my, um, my husband always says, you know, I don't care if it's, you know, you know, this idea that it's just the placebo effect. It's like, hang on, you're mm -hmm. discounting something that is, you know, it works because people think it's going to work. So it does. Therefore, you know, there is a, a really big thing happening there. It's really strong. Yeah. It's your mind over matter, isn't it? So, Absolutely. Yeah. My feeling, my own feeling on this is that actually to take control, although it seems like an immense, scary, huge monster of a, of a thing to take on, it's actually, it's almost like the, the you know, better the devil you know. Mm -hmm. So you're not giving that agency away to somebody else and you're not saying, here's my problem, deal with it. You're yeah. saying, okay, this is this is something that I have to deal with. Yeah, take and, responsibility for it. Yeah. yeah, and once you do that, it actually feels a lot better. Yeah, it feels easier, and it feels like you can just kind of sink into it and accept it. And you know, I, I, you talked about um, struggling to accept your condition to begin with, and I totally, totally appreciate that. And I think that. Um, that is part of the biggest struggle with chronic illnesses is that, you know, it's so easy to panic and to think, oh, my God, my life is ruined. You, 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 your body, you're, you're, you don't feel in control of it because, you know, with chronic illness like MS or anything like that and autoimmune disease, your body is attacking itself. Something's gone wrong with the messaging that it's like attacking itself. So you're like, my own body is attacking itself. Yeah. How can I stop this? I can't. You feel powerless in those moments. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a really difficult one. 
But yeah, so part of just accepting that and, you know, accepting sounds kind of weak in a way in, in this situation, but yeah. it's actually, it's surrendering for a bigger cause. Yeah. And that bigger cause is beginning to trust yourself, your own intuition, your own body and learning what it needs. And I don't think that you can do that until you make that acceptance yeah it's a bit like you know EFT <laughs> you know when we do EFT it's if people yeah. know what that is um first you kind of accept the negative feelings before you can go on to the positive yes so it's like accepting the now accepting right now this is happening because if you don't accept it first how can you change it oh I love that yeah yeah that's so so true <laughs> yeah so how would you say that you're experience has informed the work that you do now then um well it's done it it's the only reason what I'm doing it I guess is I realized and I learned through everything that I've done that yes your mind is incredibly important um as well as your body you know I've done a lot of work and I realized that your mind and body are in constant dialogue yeah um, and that the, the voices in your head and the things that you're telling yourself about you and the world outside of you do, you know, they do create your life the way that you see people, the way that you see the world um, and the way that you feel about yourself. So that's what I do with women. And I, because I've been through it myself, very low self-esteem, low confidence, depression, anxiety, all of it. Yeah. It's... Um, it's paramount to get your mindset working in order first before you go out and do something. Because what I find is that if you don't, then, you know, yeah, self-sabotage comes in because you do something and then your voice is like, uh-uh, this isn't good. You don't deserve this, whatever. Everything, it's like the resistance gets stronger. Yes, yes. So I just find the work that I do with people, I do work with them on their bodies, but first you have to, first you have the mindset that you can even change your body or change you have to believe in something to do it, you know, you know, you're yeah. not going to stand in the middle of the road if you don't, if you, if you believe you're going to get hit by it, you won't do it if you're clever. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it's about first finding that belief saying I can do this and then doing it. So you can apply that to your body, you can apply that to your business, you know, cause you can just stay paralyzed by fear. I've been there so many times and then you have to make that transition to belief. Yeah. In order to do it. So that it's funny. I thought I'd be working with ill people, you know, and I, I do, you know, do stuff, but it's transferred itself into entrepreneurship because then there's a, there's even grander vision, like helping people change yeah. bigger things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I actually feel like that is an important part of the path in a way, because people who have um, been along this journey and, uh, you know, we do call it a journey because there's never really a goal point. You know, there's never really that point yeah. um, where you can say, you want... <laughs> sorry, as much as you want that magic pill and everything to be perfect. No. Yeah. 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 Um, but I do feel like we are spiritual entrepreneurs, you know, we've kind of, we've come through that immense, um, uh, hero, that hero's path, you know, that, or heroine in our case. Um, and it has transformed us. And so of course we want to kind of put that out into the world and to help others along the same path. Definitely. Yeah. Lead by example, right? (laughs) Yes, definitely. 
So, okay, so first of all, would you do anything differently looking back? What I did when I first got diagnosed and for many years, and maybe to this day still to a point, is I shut off from people. I didn't, I was so terrified of being a burden. That was like, because I remember reading, when I first got diagnosed, I did a lot of research on the internet. And I remember reading stories of people, I remember there was one story that stuck out with me and it was like talking about how someone was having a dinner party and they were saying, oh, we've got this friend who's got MS and we have to make so much effort for her because she's in a wheelchair and she has special dietary requirements. I mean, it's such a burden, but you have to pretend like it's okay because she's got MS. Wow. And I was like, oh God, I'm going to be that friend. So I was so, you know, it pushed me more to, to heal, to look at ways because I did not want to be a burden. But wow. also I think having that meant that I closed up from people and I couldn't, I chose not to talk to people. So I remember my parents would constantly ask me, how are you? And I'd be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I just wanted to be fine. I wanted to shut off from it. And I didn't want to act like a victim in any kind of way. But I think in some ways, if I just said, actually, I'm not doing so well, I'm scared, I'm sad. It would have helped me to move through it a lot quicker. But I do feel like I stuffed down a lot of emotion around that time. And in some ways it helped and in some ways it really didn't, it really didn't help. And I've had to then feel those emotions since and kind of come to terms with what I stuffed down. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say I would have changed how I dealt with it emotionally if I could. But looking back, I didn't know how. I had no idea. And what would you say the, you know, like the, the top three things your experience taught you were? Um, the best thing that I learned was that your body our bodies are amazing they're like if you really look at them because I've you know I I did some I studied anatomy and physiology and you just look at how incredible just a cell is yeah it's amazing to see how your body is constantly trying to be in balance and homeostasis yes Um, and you know it does I know that a lot of the time I think science catches up and stuff eventually, but yeah, people say, oh yeah, mind body, who, you know, woo woo hippie stuff, but your emotions and your mind are important to how your body is feeling. And and you can just see it. If someone feels depressed, you can see it in their body posture. If someone feels happy, you can see it. And that's a simple way of putting it. But if you like really study someone deep, 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 there are physiological changes. You know, they do talk about stress, but just emotional, um, what do you call it? suppression that's a big one yes the emotion yes absolutely I knew I had a lot of suppressed emotions from childhood I knew that and um so that learning that your body is amazing so that was one thing that I would tell people your body is amazing and it can heal and never forget that through everything yeah it can heal and you can heal or at least get a lot better um another thing I would say is if you look for something hard enough you will find it which in some ways is amazing because you can find anything but if you're looking for things that are bad you can find them as well yeah and I know that on my spiritual journey if I looked for the negative stuff I could find it as well yes yeah so it is very much asking it is given if you look for something bad you'll quite you'll find it it's just yeah that simple um and I think, the, yeah, again, the cheesy cliche thing, just don't give up hope. And there will be days where you will give up hope, and that's fine. Yeah. You know? But if you give up, give up, that's like dying. There's no point. Yeah. And I know there are people, but they just go, you know what, 
my body's done. I've seen it. I've, I've heard of people who are just like, I can't do this anymore. And that's, you know, that's their choice. But if you want to get better, you have to just carry on going. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because of the work that I do, I, I hold those people in those spaces when you want to give up. And I'm like, that's fine. You can give up. Of course you can. It's your life. It's your body. Um, but if you want to get better, eventually you have to accept that you want to give up and move through it, like we said. Yes. Yeah. So what would you say to others in this situation? And we kind of, you know, we kind of gone over this a little bit already. But, you know, if somebody was at the beginning of their um, journey, they've maybe just been diagnosed Mm -hmm. with something like MS or another chronic illness. What would you say to them? I would say, I think a big one, actually, is your emotional health. Um, just, you know, allowing yourself to feel... I, when my best friend's mum got diagnosed with MS a few years ago, she emailed... Oh, I found out and I emailed her because I knew what it was like to be diagnosed. And I said to her, look, this might sound strange, but please let yourself grieve. Please let yourself feel how awful you feel right now. And then she emailed me back saying thank you so much. I just kind of let go and I just cried my eyes out and let it all out. Um, and now I feel a lot better because I think I didn't give myself that chance to feel bad about it. Cause I was like, no, I've got to be strong and I've got to do this all myself. So I think that would be, I mean, I met a lady recently, um, who's been diagnosed with lymphoma cancer and she's been doing, she's a nurse and she's been going, she went through the chemo, didn't help or you know she obviously had really bad side effects and wasn't given I don't know the full story but she ended up going to do alternative therapies in Germany Mm. and started to get better and then I think it got worse again and just you know la 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 yeah I sat with her and I just said is there anybody supporting you and she said not really and I just said like get you know so I I was I offered it and I've been emailing her but I said you need emotional as well as looking after your body you need to deal with how you're feeling oh gosh yes that's so we important have a bit of chats and we talked a little bit about what happened you know what her childhood was like I don't know this happens with me all the time with people it just comes out naturally because I think it's so important to allow yourself to feel how you feel yeah, yeah. but a lot of the time or at least I haven't or people around me feelings are strange it's like oh no I can't feel that way Mm. You know, so it, it's I want to say it's okay to be angry it's okay to be angry it's okay to be angry at your body what are you doing and yeah. to feel that move through it and then you know maybe then start to become friends with it but I think a lot of the time people try and suppress the negative emotions yes. and that's a big I, I can't tell you the other day I saw something that the Dalai Lama posted on Facebook and I was like I've got a bone to pick with the Dalai Lama because he's making people think that anger is a bad thing yeah when it's not, it's natural. It's just bad if you actually act out and put it on somebody else. But it's okay to feel it first, let it move through. And then, you know, but I was, I read it and I was like, no, Dalai Lama, don't do this. Everyone's going <laughs> to anger more. And then it's going to turn into more rage and more stuff, you know? Like, that's yeah. why I really strongly believe that anger is a natural reaction. It's, it's from our kind of caveman days to protect us and maybe it's not so rational in the moment but it's still your body's reacting to yes it, yeah right so let it move through first because if you stuff it down it builds up and then it either becomes resentment or it becomes rage but those are both worse than just feeling angry in the moment so yeah that's a big one i find with people with chronic illnesses yeah 
there's a lot of that suppression and yeah (laughs) yeah and I think the the key with suppression is that you know when you suppress something it's getting stuck in your body as well so that has knock-on physical effects and this has been proven you know it's not just a kind of woo-woo weird thing yeah um yes more and more and that's yeah we just have to kind of wing it at the moment because yeah we get I have a really good friend who's a scientist and she's all like are you trying to tell me that negative emotions cause cancer and I'm like no I'm not going to go that far but negative emotions definitely affect your health definitely affect your health yeah and maybe one day it will go that far who knows but right now it's not at that time there's no point going down that road right now absolutely so much when it comes to emotional support I really feel that's a big you know and that's why I'm so passionate about mental health and the stigma surrounding it because I feel a lot of people are kind of suffering silently trying to keep strong trying to keep it together trying to always be okay but at the same time pushing down so much and yeah maybe eventually that does become chronic things maybe depression anxiety and maybe eventually disease if it goes that far yeah yeah so important it's all so important yeah I think that's why I work with women and yeah like emotions I think that's the big thing for me is the emotional stuff and it's probably yeah it's very personal because I didn't allow myself to feel the emotions I stuff so much some so, so much stuff down but I think that's so common as well you know and you were you know it was a very young age that was you know emotionally we're not really very well developed as teenagers and um <laughs> yeah. that's you know such an enormous thing to deal with when when everybody else as a teenager is kind of worried about how they look or you know whether somebody likes them or you know whatever it is and you were dealing with this huge thing huge yeah and I've been brought up with the I've been brought up very well I've brought up with religion but that you know for me it created guilt in myself and it was like I shouldn't be feeling bad about this there are people out there starving you know you know even now you, you see all these refugees and you, you feel it oh my gosh yeah like, and I complain yeah. yeah but that helps with suppression that really helps for you to not feel it it's like oh I shouldn't feel that way I'm, I'm very lucky I shouldn't feel this way so you don't allow the natural emotions that you feel yeah, yeah. so <laughs> cool so don't suppress your emotions people well get it out let it out not in the middle of the street and not on other people yeah <laughs> using, using the tools that we use like EFT or kinesio anything yeah. to help you or just you know just sometimes sitting with somebody and talking about it and having somebody really listen to you can just transform a lot absolutely and I can I can vouch 100% for Kami of kamesiology.com <laughs> somebody who can really help you through this um, she's a, a very talented lady indeed I just want re- I really want people to realize that it's okay to feel how they feel that's the main thing I think I want to that, I mean, that's the work that I do is that you kind of allow the stuff and then move through it. So it's like, yeah, and mindset is so important. But it's not all about positive affirmations. It's also about allowing the negative and seeing where it comes from. Um, because so I feel I meet so many people who seem to be in a stage of denial about things. They're just trying to be like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then I'm like, are you okay? And then they could be like, no, I'm really not. And then you can move through it. And then they're like, I'm fine. 
But I do feel like a lot of people, in myself included, have this voice that's constantly like, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's good. You know, it's so typical to say, hey, how's it going? Yeah, good, and you? And I'm not saying everyone needs to start talking openly to everybody they meet saying, oh, this is going on. But having someone at least to, you know, and there are many things you can do, like the Samaritans, for example. Yes, yeah. But I do feel like so many people are so pent up with emotions they don't have to, to, to feel them. And it can really create a lot of um, bad feelings about themselves and about their life and stuff. So, Sure. Okay. Yeah. So we have been chatting with Camille Wolf, Camusiology.com. Camille, thank you so much for sharing your incredible story. Um, I know that this is going to help others who may be just at the beginning of their own healing journey or, or perhaps kind of, you know, somewhere along the path themselves at, at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I would just like to finish, I guess, with what you would love your lasting message to be. Why is this journey so important? I really want people to realize that it's okay to feel how they feel. Um you know, there's that, there's that big saying that Gandalf says in the Lord of the Rings, this too shall pass, you know, but before, you know, allowing yourself to feel that way, getting help. Cause a lot of the time we don't actually know how we're feeling because we're so pent up with different things and different voices and stuff. So when you getting out there and getting help, like somebody said to me once, it's like, you're in the middle of a forest. You don't really know everything that's going on. And that person can just be the person that says it's this way. This is the clearing, you go this way. Um, That's a big one. Um, And just, yeah, that it's okay to feel what a lot of people have termed negative emotions, whether it be anger, envy, um, just sad, you know. A lot of people are ashamed that they're sad. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, So first, yeah, acceptance of yourself, your emotions, and that, yes, it will change eventually if you can accept it. But pushing it down, suppressing it, just it starts to become chronic, I guess is the right word. <laughs> yeah. And that you can seek out help if you if you need it from people in particular who have been on a similar journey, you know, so they know there are definite stages, I think, to this this path. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, I think like we talked about, there's there's never a goal as such. There's never like a, a, yeah. a holy land, I be, suppose. Be, be cautious if somebody tells you like this is the only way, and I'm the one that knows the answers. Yeah. Be very careful with that because somebody else doesn't know more than you do. Yes. yes. Yes, they might be able to use things to test what's going on with your body, but really, you know. Yeah. Yourself. If you can manage to kind of wipe out all the voices of everybody else and your and your fear, if you can get into yourself grounded, then you know, yeah, getting yeah. in with yeah. that, yeah, so. yeah. And somebody somebody who's been there can absolutely help you bring that out in yourself as well. I yeah. feel, yeah. But always go with your. I know it sounds like cliche, but your gut feeling is like if something feels off, check with it first. Yes, you know, it could be fear, or it could just be. Um, that it's the right thing and you're scared to do it because you don't, you know, there's so many things, but yes. yeah. 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 I think that's the one thing I, if I could change the world, it would just to help people trust in themselves more. Trust oh them, yes. You know, because from a very young age, you're being told what to do and how to be. 
and it, you know, you start to ask questions outside of yourself, like, oh, I should listen to this magazine or listen to this preacher or listen to this guru. And you forget, you forget how to listen. I think that's the biggest question that I've been asked um, consistently is how do I know? How yeah. do I know what I need? You know, how do I listen to myself? And yeah. people, we've lost that ability. Yeah. yeah. Which is why it's so important to go back and see when did that happen? You know, because yeah. of all the studying that I've done with the shamans, with psychology, with all different kinds of things, it's, it's, it seems to be the same message where something's split and it's about reconnecting back to that part of yourself, your psyche, whatever, that traumatic memory where you decided it wasn't safe to trust yourself anymore. Yeah. And a lot of people have that, of course. Thank you so much, Kimmy. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you today, having this conversation about your heroine's journey, your healing journey. And you have you have so much to give. You have so much positive influence and um yeah, you've you know, I, I one day I want to hear about your shamanic trip to Peru as well because that just sounds like an amazing thing in itself. Yeah. We'll have you on again, I think, to chat about that. Yeah, let's do it. I'd love to. Cool. So yeah, everybody, I hope that you have really enjoyed this podcast with Camille Woe. You can check her out at kamesiology.com. And just to remind you, Camille is a mindset transformer who works with female entrepreneurs, helping them break through mindset blocks and become more confident in themselves. And she's also really passionate about redefining how we deal with mental health, which is um, a huge, huge thing uh, that I, I feel like we all need to kind of look at as well. You've been listening to Zoe Foster, Life Energy Alchemist, on the Alchemist Notebook Podcast. If you liked this episode, please do make sure you're subscribed on iTunes, leave me a review, and share with your friends. Together, we have the power to create deep, lasting change, one personal story at a time. Namaste. Namaste.